Welcome, everyone, to EMGR Chat with Kurt and Michelle. I'm Dr. Curtis Rounson. And I am Dr. Michelle Gottlieb, and we are very excited that you are here today because we have a guest. And the reason we have a guest, I'm going to have Kurt introduce her in just a second, but the reason we have a guest is one of the things that people often ask about with different populations of how to do EMDR therapy with is the military, with our warriors. And they're such an important and special group that we wanted to bring in one of our experts. So, Kurt. Yes, my pleasure to introduce to you Donna Griffith. Uh, Donna and I go back 17, 18 years. She was almost a near neighbor of mine for many years. And then four and a half years ago, she got picked up and went back, moved back to Florida for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> it could be because of her husband living back there now. But uh, uh, it's my great uh, honor to have uh, Donna here. One other, one other thing is that Donna's one of our trainers in EMDR professional training. And when Michelle and I were putting this business together for training, we were wondering who do we want for facilitators to be part of our organization or who might we consider. And one of the first ones that popped in my head was Donna, because I'd known her for a long time. So welcome, Donna. Thank Yay, you. Yay, Donna. Thank you for having me. Okay, so Donna, the first thing that I want to ask you about, um, I know you have a lot of connection with military and, and warriors like, you know, Kurt mentioned your husband, who is, uh, well, former military and current police officer. But um, what is that necessary, do you think, to work with this population? Do you need to have that kind of connection? No, not at all. It's not a rule out for working with this population, although there are many advanced trainings that people can take. We don't consider um, not having prior experience a reason to not see them. It's a population that needs a lot of help. So we just want people to jump in there and do the work. Well, I also know. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I said also assume that there's a learning curve. If you if you go in and never had been exposed to the certain culture of the military or first responders, police officers, that there's a learning curve that everyone needs to have and learn. And that, as you said, isn't necessarily a rule out, but it's it's a very important uh, population to Absolutely. Uh, work with. Absolutely. It is a culture in and of itself. And it is important to know about that culture um, when you're preparing to work with them, using their language, for instance, um, knowing the rankings and being able to talk in that language helps with that relatability when you're working with service members. Yes. Right? So like with any culture, educate yourself. Get to know this culture. And it is different depending on, you know, if you're working with uh, someone in active military versus have been retired versus a cop versus a firefighter, right? Get to know the culture that you're dealing with. Exactly. And be and, be aware of <clears throat> one more thing of yeah. your own beliefs about those who serve. What you might think is the worst thing that can happen may be different than what a service member thinks. So we one of the big things we always tell people is just don't don't ever assume. You have to ask um, where your client is in the pecking order of the ranking systems, what their MOS is, which is a fancy way to say what is your job, military occupational specialty. Nobody does acronyms like the military. And having an idea about what they do and what their job is is a nice way to tell maybe if there's a lot of trauma. But we don't know. We can't assume. So we have to ask because they don't tell. 
And so building on the culture question, I've got a few things off of that. But one is, historically with this culture, and I know that it's starting to change a little bit, but this is not a a group of people who would come in and talk about those awful, big, scary, traumatic events. That's correct. This is a population that is very reticent to talk about anything. This is a population that if you don't ask, they won't tell. So if you do see somebody who's a service member, know that a couple things might happen. They may vet you, throw the worst at you to see if you can handle it, number one. Number two, they've been accustomed to not being able to talk about feelings. Feelings are bad. Uh, The big thing we hear in the military all the time is, ma'am, if the military wanted me to have feelings, they would have issued them to me. There's a lot of stigma about mental health concerns. Not only that, but in their jobs, they have a risk of being non-deployable, even separated from the military for acknowledging symptoms of PTSD. So given all of that, what gets them to actually come in? Well, when the distress becomes too much to tolerate, is one of the ways we end up seeing them. And ironically, oftentimes they come in for another issue, non-related to their military service. I've had many service members come in on the heels of a couples therapy, for instance. They're having strife in the marriage and they come in as a couple thinking that it's the couple that needs the help. And many times, as happened recently to one of my clients, they came in And he's a law enforcement officer as well, but he was a prior uh, combat soldier in Kosovo. And I didn't know that at the time, but I was talking to them and trying to figure out what's going on in their marriage. Why are things not working? And I wasn't finding it. I wasn't finding the issue. So when I talked to him and asked about his on-the-job trauma, he said, yeah, there was a lot of on-the-job trauma, but also he was a soldier and he was a combat soldier. And so one of the things we know about people in combat or first responders in general is they have to do this thing where they disconnect in order to keep doing their job, disconnect from the trauma, disconnect from the reality of what's going on. So when their compartments are full and overflowing with trauma, the first thing they do is do their coping skill that they're used to, and that's disconnect, and that's even from their spouse. So oftentimes I'll get somebody who's a service member that's going to come in with a marital issue. And if I know that they've been in service, I will ask, what did you do? What's going on? Um, What was your job? Were you in combat? To see if there's anything there. Listening with those good EMDR therapy, AIP, informed ears, what is the root cause of the problem? And I was able to work with this particular service member, and he actually had moved out, and he moved back in, he's reconnected to his wife, his kids, and life is good. And as we finished treatment, I told him, hey, everything on your treatment plan's done, you're good. I don't have to come Mm. back. (laughs) No, you're you're all set. And so because he's still... um, active in his job as a law enforcement officer. We do little check-ins, but he's, he's good to go. And that, that happens more often than not. 
You know, another thing that you just reminded me of as you were talking is increasingly as the years have gone by, uh, I've gotten referrals from military and first responders in part because I do a thing called EMDR and they don't have to talk about the horrible things uh, by how the adaptive information processing model works. EMDR is a non-talk therapy, so they can come in and they can deal with some of the horrible things, then some of which they cannot talk about, uh, they're still able to resolve it. So just want to yes, throw that out. That's a good point. And also with the not being able to talk about things, um, there might be actually some validity to this. Mm-hmm. There may be some things that you don't know and they can't tell you for security reasons as well. And EMDR therapy being the wonderful therapy that it is, you don't have to say the words. Their brain is going to process it whether they spit it back out to us or not. Right. I love this therapy. Okay. But another thing, you know, and again, uh, changes or adaptations we may need to make for this population. One of the things that I think of, not only the they don't have to talk, but the other thing is they may want to come in only for that one call or that one incident. They don't want to do family of origin, trauma history. And that is also something that may be something we do with them. Right. So if they're coming in for a single case and they want to talk about trauma, then you might have to decide what you can do within the time you have with them. If they're coming in on their EAP, for instance, and you get a minimum amount of sessions, you might have to do just the combat trauma. But what's important is that we have that history taking piece where in phase one, where we do have a little bit of a roadmap to know what else is in there, because we have to warn them about things that could come up, things in past childhood experiences in that past prong. Even though we're working on combat trauma event, there may be something in the past that's related that may come up. So we have to warn them about that, even if we don't have the time to work with them with that comprehensive treatment plan. Are there other things, Donna, that you would want to say to anyone working with this population of adaptations, thoughts, things that they they need to be aware of with this population? Yes. Again, um, if you don't ask specific questions, they don't tell you. So it's important to always ask and be specific. Again, the vetting. They'll throw the worst at you and see if you can handle it. Oftentimes, they'll tell you, Um, the grossest story that they can tell you and look for a reaction. If they get a negative reaction, they may walk right out of your office. So it's really important that you don't show shock, dismay over things that they tell you because that's a tell that you can't handle it. You don't got this. They may even show you things like their dead file. Every um, police officer, for instance, and um, have a dead file. So they may show you pictures of scenes and things that have happened to check your reaction. Military works the same way. They're going to paint you a picture of something and see your reaction and see if you can handle it. A couple other things um, that you might want to know is that they don't feel safe anywhere. So when we're doing phase two, the safe, calm place, you might just have to focus on calm because this is a population that doesn't really feel safe anywhere. You might have to look at where your office furniture is arranged. They have to see a door. They have to see anywhere where there's a place to exit and enter. They have to be facing that way. You will not be um, 
comfortable in a position where you have a back to a door if you're a service member. So being cognizant of how your office is set up and making sure that they have a good eye on the exit space because they there is always an alert for safety. And a necessary you know, alert, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a this is not uh, irrational coming from where they come from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, when you're talking about safe, calm place, and we often talk about using terminology that's appropriate for the person you're working with, and even calm may not work. And so sometimes I've used the word secure place, right? And that yeah. can be something that's workable, workable as well. Would you say that in order to work for this population that Clinicians need to have advanced trainings? No, they don't need to have advanced trainings. It's just helpful to educate yourself about working with the military. But there are advanced trainings available. And I would recommend that if you do find yourself working with this population, that you take one. But it's not a rule out. And we really need um, people working with these service members for a lot of reasons. You know, we're still very concerned about the suicide rates of the active duty and their families and veterans. And I can only I can only assume that having some awareness of that, like like getting an advanced training will be extremely helpful, particularly if you as a clinician have not been in combat or have not been a first responder and have not and been submerged in that culture, that that education about what the culture's like would be so essential for the our patients. Yes, or seek out um, consultation with somebody yes. who is familiar with working with the population. Right. All right. So you have the service member, retired, active, first responder, whoever they are. You have them sitting in their in your office. Um, you've they're vetted you. You you have not had a significant reaction, so they're feeling kind of okay working with you. You have uh, set up the, the office so that they can see the door. You're you're asking them direct questions about what their experience is, what's triggering them. But actually, let's go back to that really fast. What triggers this population? Many triggers that have to do with this population um, have to do with anniversaries of events. Um, Suicide rates of comrades, if they hear somebody that they served with died by suicide, that's a huge trigger. Um, Things externally like traffic, loud noises, fireworks, these are all common triggers. Other things that trigger um, service members have to do with current day things going on in the world. For an example, I can use the recent extraction from Afghanistan. Almost all of the vets that I saw were extremely triggered and upset by how that was handled. So knowing what's going on in the world and knowing the different things that can trigger them can help in a session set up some good, really rich targets for for some good EMDR work. Yeah, you do need to know what's going on, don't you? Yeah. Um, You did mention the suicide rates a couple of times. Can you speak to where, from the latest data that we have, how are our service members doing when it comes to suicide? Where are we at? So it's still at the 22 a day vets. Wow. And we're looking at over 30,000 active duty 
have died by suicide since 9-11, those rates are four times higher than the deaths that occurred during any military operations. Wow. The DOD released its first suicide report for the calendar year 2018. That's available online, and it details suicides by branch, method, and includes spouses and child suicide rates. So this is not an individual issue. It's not a service member issue. If you love somebody who's in the service and live with somebody in the service, it's a family game everyone gets to play. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wise words there. Definitely. All right. So you're starting to do EMDR therapy with this person. Would you, briefly, because this is not a full advanced training, but would you touch on, for all eight phases, what are some things that people might want to be thoughtful of during the different eight phases? In in history taking phase one, um, we're just going to be asking specific questions again because they won't tell you. They can give you a snapshot of their experience. We don't need the details. Um, Again, if you have an officer that's coming in um, for a combat trauma, my officer, sorry, the officer that I had come in that was also a combat vet, um, you have to be looking for information that's coming in with those AIP EMDR therapy informed ears. You have to be listening for the root causes of the problems of the people who are coming in. Know that they fear judgment and they have a unique sense of humor. So in history taking phase one, you're going to hear a lot of stories and that's just part of their coping skills. So that's going to be something. And then phase two, preparation phase, it's important to give them psychoeducation again about what could come up. And if we're doing touchstone trauma, um, comprehensive treatment, uh, what's in there, what's all going to come up. If we're doing single case, what could come up around that. So we have to prepare them to do the work. We have to make sure they have really good internal and external resources. Do they have a soft place to land? How are things at home? Do they do yoga, meditation, exercise of any kind? Things like that. We may need to teach them a container in phase two, meaning they have a container that they can use uh, in between sessions. It may be helpful in this phase. Um, In phase four, we're going to be looking at cognitive interweaves. And I am very active with cognitive interweaves for this population more than any other population because I believe they get stuck in a lot of places to do with responsibility, survivor guilt, moral issues, and things like this. Yeah. Um, Okay. We don't have a ton of time left today, but what would you, (laughs) of the most important thing, would you want them would you want a clinician to take away from today's talk usually when you see a service member they're coming in with heavy themes things that are centered around something they witnessed something they should have done differently more tra- moral trauma issues are common and they may have done something in combat that they deem is horrific and they're going to be very um vulnerable to share 
those things with you. There's a lot of traumatic memories and events that can happen with our service members, whether they were deployed or not. And sexual trauma in the military is huge, as well as betrayal trauma, having to work with people who have sexually assaulted you. And the military doesn't have a handle on that. That's something that's increased. So be listening for those themes. Donna, thank you so much for all. Well, thank you so much for all that you bring to EMDR professional training. Thank you for all that you bring to you, uh, everyone who's listening, and to all the people you, that you train. You are such a gift. Thank yeah, you. Thank, thank you so you. much, Donna. Likewise, yeah. failing is mutual. Thank you. So um, we will again put the uh, a coupon code in the description. That's somewhere on the page when you're looking at this. So um, if there's any advanced trainings that we offer that would be useful for you. We want to thank you for listening and participating. So please listen, please share, and we'll see you next time. Until we see you again, EMDR that stuff. Thank you. Mm -hmm.